So here Jesus Christ is getting ready to go to the cross. He's about to prepare his men for it. Verse 1 and verse 3 give us what was going on in Jesus Christ's mind. Verse 2 lets us know that he was aware of what was going on around him. Look at verse 2 again. And supper being ended, the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he ariseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that he had poured water, after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Isn't that an amazing scene? Then cometh he to Simon Peter. I wonder how many times we have in the Bible when Peter saith. And I'm really glad we have that because this is something like I think some of us would say. I would probably say something like this. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost, now look at the pronouns, dost thou wash my feet? Can, can you imagine what a shocking thing that would be? Oh, no, no, you're, no, I'm not going to let you do this. And look at what Jesus said. Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Second Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. I listened to James Knox on this text this week, and he said, Aren't you glad Peter was an apostle and not a prophet? What's he say here? Um, he says, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Remember when Jesus said he was going to go to the cross, Peter said, Be it not so, Lord. Aren't you glad he wasn't a prophet? It's, it's an amazing thing. Aren't you glad that God doesn't answer all your prayers? It's interesting. So, look at verse 10. Jesus said, saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. Now, if we stop right there, doesn't it look like he's saying that Peter is clean, but he's not completely clean? That's not what he's talking about. Look at the next verse. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore, said he, ye are not all clean. Now, I think that you all know that I love to read what other people say about a text like this before I preach it. And sometimes you come across something that someone has written or said that, at least from my perspective, can't be said any better. And it's fun when you find something like that. There was a a Baptist preacher in the 1800s, he was called the Prince of Expositors. His name was Alexander McLaren. He pastored in England about the same time as Charles Spurgeon. And so Spurgeon spoke for the common man. McLaren spoke for the more educated man. And yet God used them both greatly. And McLaren uh, preached a sermon on this text. And I'm going to be reading from it extensively during this message. So when I start reading, don't tune out because it's really good, and some of the old language is hard to follow, so you're really going to have to pay attention. One of the things that McLaren pointed out about this text is that most of the time, the apostles, the gospel writers, record what Jesus did, but not why he did it. 
right? Here in this text, though, we know why he did it. The Bible tells us why he did it. Look at, uh, so the first thing that I want you to see, number one, is he is, Jesus is concerned with time. Jesus is concerned with time. Now, isn't that interesting? Should Jesus have been concerned with time? If it wasn't for us, there's no reason for him to be concerned with time because he's timeless. What did Jesus say? Before Abraham was, I am. Not I was. I am. Micah 5, 2. But thou, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be small among the cities of Judea, out of thee shall come forth he who um, is from ancient times, whose goings forth have been from, ever, from of old, from everlasting. It's, it's, he's, he's pre-incarnate. He, that is, he existed before he had a body. He is the eternal God. Why would Jesus be concerned with time for us? For us. So look at verses 1 and 3. Give us what Jesus Christ was thinking about. Look at verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come. Now notice the Passover and his hour was come. Why? Because 1 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us, talks about Jesus Christ, our Passover. So that Passover lamb, and if you're not sure, you don't remember what that was, the children of Israel, the Israelites, there was a famine. And so Jacob and his sons went into Egypt. Joseph became the second in command of Egypt, which is just an amazing thing. And the Bible talks about how Joseph, because of his faithfulness, was able to save many people alive. But like happens with most of us, we get into a situation that's comfortable and we stay longer than we should. You know, like at Cracker Barrel. You know, you, you get into a situation that's comfortable and you stay longer than you should. That's what happened in Israel. And so they became slaves. They became slaves. And the only way that God could get them out of there was to make it completely uncomfortable for them. And the other thing that he had to do is he had to make it uncomfortable for Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And the final straw was the Passover. What Jesus told them to do was, what you're, what, what you're going to do is you're going to take blood and put it on the, the blood of a spotless lamb, take a hyssop branch, and dip it in that blood. And the Father was supposed to do this. Dip it in the blood and put it on the side posts and on the lentil of your door. And, of course, that made the sign of a cross. And the Bible says Jesus Christ is our Passover. And what God said was, I'm going to come through the camp. I'm going to come through the city. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And if the blood wasn't there, the firstborn child was killed in every household. And the Bible talks about great lamentation, great weeping all over Egypt. That's the Passover. But what did that Passover accomplish? It accomplished... The, the liberating of Israel. So they were able to leave the city. They were able to leave Egypt and go into the promised land. And so God told them that this would be a perpetual feast. In Exodus chapter 11, God told them it would be a, a perpetual feast that they were supposed to continue to, to uh, observe. Why? Because it all points to Jesus. And we've looked at that before. So now, if, verse 1 again, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. So what was Jesus thinking about? What was his mindset as he got ready to wash the disciples' feet? What was his mindset? Well, he knew that he was going to leave. His time with them was short. 
and he knew that he loved them. Now, aren't you glad he loves you to the end? And here's why that's important, because you can still mess up. And you messing up has nothing to do with whether or not he loves you. It's awesome, isn't it? He loves you to the end. Let me read to you what McLaren said here. Do we not all know the impulse to make parting moments tender moments? It's true, isn't it? How many of you, it's hard for you to say goodbye to somebody? It's hard. Especially people who don't like to show their emotions. Right? How many of you know somebody that will not be in the room when people leave? Why? Because they don't want someone to see them cry. Right? The, the masks of use and will drop off. The reticence which we perhaps wisely... He was British, of course. The reticence which we perhaps wisely ordinarily cultivate in regard to our deepest feelings melts away. We yearn to condense all our unspoken love into some one word, act, look, or embrace, which it may afterwards be life to two hearts to remember. And so what Jesus Christ is doing here, and this was something that I had never considered until I read McLaren, that what Jesus is doing is He is showing His disciples how much He loves them because He knows He's not going to see them humanly for a long time. He's going away. And McLaren went on, and this part spoke to me. You know, I always tease Dalton about being too emotional, and he calls me a robot. He calls me data. Okay, so this next section was really poignant for me personally. We shall never understand the works of Jesus Christ if we do as we are all apt to do, think of them as having only a didactic or doctrinal purpose. Now, didactic, that's teaching. So, if the actions of Jesus are only doctrinal or teaching, we must remember that there is in Him the true play of a human heart. So, remember, He was the perfect man. So his emotions were perfect. His demonstration of his emotions are perfect. If you ever want to know how you're supposed to act, read the Bible. Look at, look at Jesus. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 that the job, one of the functions of the church is to grow us, to mature us, to perfect us into the perfect man. That is, unto the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ. It's an interesting concept. How are we doing? I think we have work to do. What do you think? All right? So he says this, We must remember there, that there is in him the true play of a human heart and that it was to relieve his own love as well as to teach these men their duty that he arose from the supper and prepared himself to wash the disciples' feet. So the first reason that he did this was just he just loved them. He knew that his time was short and he loved them. You know, we need to be aware of time. How many of you parents right now with your kids, you know, we have a whole bunch of kids graduated from high school, you're thinking, man, the time's gone. It's gone. That time is gone. And what everyone says, how many of you have ever had someone say to this to you when your kids are young, enjoy this? Because before you know it, it will be gone. You ever had that said? How many have kids that you cannot wait for that to happen? I understand. It is, 
This is what's going on. Jesus Christ knows that he's about to leave, and he, he loves these guys perfectly. He loves them sinlessly. Think about that. Because here's what happens in our human relationships. My relationship with my wife is marred by sin. And that's, so my impatience, my expectations, my unrealistic uh, desires, my, all of that, that that gets in the way of a relationship, whether a marriage relationship or a friend relationship, our love for someone else is always marred by sin. Jesus Christ's love for His disciples was complete. It was perfect. It was absolute. And He's demonstrating what that love is. Selfless humility is the soul of love. Selfless humility is the soul of love. And you see that with mothers, don't you? A mother's love. What moms do... How many of you guys... Did not change very many diapers. Would you raise your hand? You did not change very many diapers. You guys are liars. I, I'm going to change my sermon. Moms, it, it is amazing what a mom is willing to put her hands in. <laughs> it's just true. And what is that? That's selfless love. You nurses. You nurses. How many of you are thankful for nurses? Yeah, I'm not doing that. It is a very selfless, it's a very selfless occupation. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing. So, only humble people love. Only humble people love. The Bible says that where there is pride, there is contention. Right? Have you ever, have you ever seen people fight just because they're not willing to give in? You ever seen that? Maybe you saw it this morning before church. I don't know. But what happens is... Uh, proud people, where there is pride, there's contention, and only humble people love. And full devotion, what we see here is full devotion of the one loving to the one loved. It, it's, it's an interesting expression of love that Jesus Christ gives here in this text. But that's not the only thing that we see. So we see that Jesus Christ loved these men deeply, profoundly, and He was expressing His love. But that's not the only impulse that we're given that Jesus Christ had. Look at verse 1 again. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved His own which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. Now look at verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He was come from God and went to God. All right, so what did two, two things Jesus Christ knew. The time was over for His personal interaction, His physical interaction with these men. The second thing that He knew is God had given Him everything. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's everything. He's God. Right? He's God. So that is the second thing that we have to remember when we see Him rising and taking off His outer garment and girding Himself with a towel and getting on His knees and washing the feet of the disciples. McLaren said this, "...the consciousness of the highest dignity impels to the lowliest submission." Let me read that again. "...the consciousness of the highest dignity impels to the lowliest submission." All things given into His hands means universal 
and absolute dominion. That He was come from God means pre-existence, voluntary incarnation, that is the taking on of a body, an eternal divine nature, and unbroken communion with the Father. That He went to God means a voluntary departure from this low world and a return to His own calm home, His habitation from eternity. So now, that makes sense, right? So He has everything and He can do anything. And what does He do? He gets down on his knees and washes the disciples' feet. So now when you put all this together, it was that that sent him with the towel around his loins to wash the foul... Listen to this. To wash the foul feet of the pedestrians who had come by the dusty and hot way from Bethany and through all the abominations of an eastern city into the upper chamber. That's what Jesus did. Now, think about this. I, I used to come home from playing basketball. I used to play a lot of basketball, and I'd come home, and I'd, you know, and you guys know after you're done playing ball that you don't really take off your socks. You peel them off, right? And they're nasty. And there was nothing better than throwing them at my sister. So she's sitting there watching TV, and I peel off these socks, and all of a sudden it's splat. <laughs> it's just stuck to the side of her face. That's awesome. Now, how many of you think that's gross? It's gross. It's kind of what Jesus did, but worse, you know, for us. Not throw the sock, but have it thrown at him. And he did it willingly. It's an amazing, amazing thing. So there are two aspects to why he did this. Number one, because he loved them. And number two, to show them what love really does. What love does is it takes someone who is greater and humbles themselves to someone who's lesser. Now that becomes a problem for us because we're not really supposed to think we're greater than anyone else, are we? And yet... That is what happens when a parent humbles themselves for a baby. That's what happens when a teacher who knows way more than the student humbles themselves to answer stupid questions. I heard someone say there are no stupid questions. How many of you ever heard that? There are only stupid people who ask questions. <laughs> there is no one more frustrating than a sophomore in college. How many of you have heard the term sophomoric? You've heard the, that's where that comes from. Because they've learned just enough to think they know more than everyone else on the planet. So you've got somebody who's been studying for 40 years, and now this person that is two years through college, now they have all the answers. And what does that teacher continue to do? Humble themselves. I, a perfect example of this. I was in college. And Roland Rasmussen, you all know my friend Mark Rasmussen. He's vice president out at West Coast Baptist College. Mark Rasmussen is brilliant. He reads, I don't know, 1,200 words a minute. And just, he's an amazing man. Well, his dad is smarter than him. His dad would read 30 minutes out of his Greek New Testament every day. And he never went to bed without giving someone the gospel. An amazing man. Brilliant, 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 amazing man. Well, he had preached something in chapel in Bible college that I didn't agree with. And so I went into Dr. Rasmussen's office 
and questioned Roland Rasmussen, Dr. Rasmussen. Now listen, for three hours. I want you to see something. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're going to come back to John. But 1 Peter chapter 5. I want to show you what was going on with Dr. Rasmussen. Now, it, it, this, th these experiences impacted Peter, and God used those experiences to communicate truth to us in First and Second Peter, the books that God had Peter write. All right? So look at chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1. The elders which are among you, so it's pastors, which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Now, don't ever read past that verse. These are the two most important events in Peter's life. All right? So he was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. How did that go for him? He messed it up, didn't he? He denied Christ. And also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And what did he do? He messed it up. Interesting, isn't it? That's why I love Peter. Verse 2, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. So don't make anyone force you to take the oversight. That's your job. Take the oversight. And then look at how he's supposed to do it. Thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. Now, an example is a model that's been removed. All right, something that you hear about. So, the Old Testament are examples. An insample is a model that's among you. All right? So, then look at what it says in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd, who's the chief shepherd? Jesus Christ. Okay, like two people knew that. Who's the chief shepherd? Jesus. Okay, like maybe a few more. Who's the chief shepherd? Okay, good, good. It's okay to say his name in church. It's all right. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Now, remember what we've just read in this um, washing of the disciples' feet. And look at what Peter says now. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. What did Jesus do when He took off His garment and girded Himself with a towel? He clothed Himself with humility, didn't He? Do you know what Roland Rasmussen was doing for the insolent, self-important, not as smart as he thought he was, Jim Alter. He was clothing himself with humility. Three hours I questioned him. Three hours. Now, the end of the story is I was right and he was wrong. But it, is, it is an amazing, amazing thing that he did that for me. I'll tell you something else funny about Dr. Rasmussen. I did that with him three or four times, spent hours with him learning from him. And so Paul Rasmussen was my good friend. He was in my wedding. That's his dad. And every time Dr. Rasmussen would come into town, Paul would say, 
Dad, you remember Jim Alters? Jim, Jim, nice to meet you. Every time. So I had spent hours with him, and every time, nice to meet you, Jim. Nice to, nice to meet you. Is that hilarious? So apparently I did not impact his life very much. <laughs> Why? Wouldn't you remember it if someone had gotten under your skin? Wouldn't you remember it if someone had insulted you? Wouldn't you remember it if you felt that someone had belittled you greatly? Wouldn't you remember that? Now, even though I tried to be respectful to him, I was not being respectful to him. What does the Bible say? The younger is supposed to respect. The younger pastors are supposed to have respect to older pastors. Nathan Brynick. All right? This is what we're supposed to do. And I didn't show him the kind of respect that he was due, and yet he didn't remember it. Why? Because he was clothed with humility. And that's why to this day he's one of the greatest preachers I've ever known. He had such an influence on my life. Here's a question that I asked him one time, and I was in my 20s. I said he would be in his 60s at that time. I said, what can I start doing now to prepare to help other people the way that you're helping me? What can I do now to prepare to help people when I'm your age? And he said, study doctrine, and he gave me some examples of doctrine and how to be able to express it. And he said, but the most important thing is to memorize Scripture topically. He said, I memorized the book of Romans one time, and it didn't help me a whole lot. Isn't that awesome? I love that statement. He said, I, I learned to memorize Scripture topically. So, have you ever noticed that when you ask me a question, I go to a passage of Scripture and show you what it says? How many of you have noticed that? that that's what I try to do. Where did that come from? Roland Rasmussen. Roland Ra what happened? His humility, is in, his humility 30 years ago is impacting Grace Baptist Church today. And so it's so interesting. You have this balance that we all have responsibilities. The responsibility of the pastor is to be humble. That's what the Bible says. The responsibility of the people is to esteem him highly for his work's sake. So here's what's interesting. The pastor can't demand that. If he demands that, then that's not being humble. Is that right? And yet if the people don't do it, then they're being disobedient to the Scriptures. We all have our responsibilities. It's awesome. It is an awesome thing. Do you know what this does? This keeps us from, keeping, from having anyone come and bow before me and kiss my ring. It's really a pretty ring. Can you imagine if I wanted you to come in here? Before you can talk to me, you've got to bow before me and kiss my ring. Does that have anything to do with 1 Peter chapter 5? No, 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 no. All right, now... So, let's go back to... So, John 13 is obviously going to be more than one sermon. So, the first thing that I want you to see is he is concerned with time. He is concerned with time. Why? Because he was going to the Father, and then he recognized that the Father had given him everything. I want you to think about this. So, Jesus Christ, how many of you recognize Jesus Christ is all-powerful? You recognize. So, here's what McLaren said. Knowing that he came from God and went to God... And that even when he was kneeling before these men, the Father had given all things into his hands. What did he do? Triumph? Show his majesty? Flash his power? Demand service? He girded himself with a towel and washed his disciples' feet. The consciousness of loftiness does not alone avail to explain the transcendent lowliness. You, you need the former motive to be joined with it. 
Because it is only love, listen, it is only love which bends loftiness to service and turns the consciousness of superiority into yearning to divest oneself of the superiorities that separate and to emphasize the emotions which unite. So you see that. That love wanted Jesus Christ to remove the barriers between Him and them. That's what it did. So how does that affect us? Do you understand that if you have been saved and you have been taught in the Word of God the way more perfectly, the way that um, Aquila and Priscilla did for Apollos. So how many of you, you you have learned some things from the Bible through discipleship or sitting under the Word of God? You've, You've learned some things. How many of you are different because of that? So now what that ought to do is it it shouldn't make you think, oh, I'm so much better than this other person. It should cause you to completely rid yourself of those ideas and get down into a, a simple truth to explain something to someone that is not saved. That's what it does. That's what it does. It's not so that you can show how much more you know. It's so that that what God does is He feeds you so that you can feed someone else. All right. Um, So, number one, we see that He's concerned with time. And then, number two, He's conscious of of treachery. He is conscious of treachery. Do you see that in verse 2? And... Supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Now, do you see that? Simon's son. No, that's not Simon Peter. It's a different Simon. But can you imagine having that be your son? It's interesting, isn't it? You kids remember that your behavior impacts your parents forever. You ever hear this? Remember your name? How about Simon's son, Judas? It's interesting. Um... Then look at verse 10. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. Okay, young people, all you young people look at me. It's very important that you understand this. You might be fooling everybody, but Jesus Christ knows exactly what's in your heart. You know, some young people, they can't wait to be done with high school and out of their parents' house so they can live however they want to live. Right? That's a really foolish place to be. It's, a, it's, it's just a foolish place to be. And so you're going to identify with either a believer, you're going to identify with Judas, an apostate, one who saw Jesus Christ and knew everything about Jesus Christ and His perfections and, and betrayed Him. Why? Why did He betray Him? Because He wanted to do His own thing. He wanted to live His own way. But Jesus Christ knew the treachery. And here's the amazing thing. Jesus washed Judas' feet knowing this. Do you understand that Jesus still loves you even when you make decisions that go against Him? Even when you reject Him, He still loves you? He loves you. And He's willing to do anything for you. And He demonstrated that by going to the cross. So... He's concerned with time, and we ought to be concerned with time. The Bible says now is the day of salvation. The, the Bible says in the times of this ignorant God winked at, but now uh, um, 
calls everyone, I think he says it, to repent in Acts 17. Now is the time. Don't, don't think that you're going to get saved later. You don't know that you're going to have that later. Do you think the people on that train in, in Baltimore thought that they had more time? They did, but their time was up. Jesus Christ is concerned with time, not because he needs it, but because he knows that you don't have much. So Jesus Christ is concerned with time, and he's conscious of treachery. And then the amazing thing is he's comfortable with a towel. What are you not willing to do? What are you not willing to do? I heard Tom Sexton say one time that you know whether or not you, are, you have a servant's heart by how you respond when someone treats you like one. And you heard Tim Hawkins, you might have heard Tim Hawkins in one of his comedy things, that when someone says you have a servant's heart, they're getting ready to ask you to move tables or stack chairs. <laughs> and it is interesting that this part, someone just, I was just talking with a preacher yesterday, and he was saying that he enjoyed the teaching or whatever that I get to do. And I said, that's the fun part. This right here, this is the fun part. It's all the other stuff, all the, all the service stuff that's harder. And it's very interesting. That's why the Bible makes it very clear that, that, that the, the parts that you think are the most glorious, they're not. Do you know the most important thing that's going to happen in this room today? When someone speaks to someone else about the gospel, where they look around and they see someone that's not saved and they just say a word to them, you know that you can get saved today. You, know, you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Your sins can be forgiven, and heaven can be your home, and you can have eternity. There could be someone here that's hurting. We have folks here that have lost loved ones very recently, and they're hurting. And maybe that one person who never says anything and just comes and puts their arm around them and says, we've been praying for you. Love you. Been praying for you. That, that could be so much more important than anything that happens from this pulpit today. It's so interesting what God has said and how God has put all of this together. And so what, what's happening is he is comfortable with a towel. Uh, McLaren said, his acts are words and his words are acts. We, we go by what Jesus did and what he taught. And then he's the consummate teacher. Jesus Christ is the consummate teacher. I want you to see something. Look, look at, keep your place in John, but go to Proverbs chapter 15. Look at verse 33. So I'm going to show you two verses that end with the same statement, but they identify two different people. Okay, is everybody plugged in right now? We're almost done. All right, so get plugged in here. Look at Proverbs 15, look at verse 33. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. So did Jesus Christ demonstrate that? the fear of the Lord, and before he was glorified, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name. So what did Jesus Christ demonstrate? That humility comes before honor. Is that right? Go to Proverbs 18 and verse 12. And look at this wording. 
Think back to the beginning of the message. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. All right? So what happened? Satan had affected Judas's heart. John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Psalm 14, 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Look at this verse again. Before, what's that next word? How did Judas end up in destruction? It would have been better for him if he'd never been born, the Bible says. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. And before honor is humility. You see, what happens in some people's hearts is they're so proud of their mind. They're so proud of their decision-making process. They're so proud of their ability to discern morality. I can say what's right and wrong, not God. I can do what I want to do, not God. I can decide what is best for my life, not God. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to bypass 6,000 years of human history and examples and models and, and uh, uh, compiled truth, and I am going to be a decision maker unto myself. Can I ask you a question? Is that haughty? And what's the end of that? Destruction. Because what do they miss that before honor is humility? So there are, there are two people in our story, Jesus and Judas. Jesus understood the fear of God and understood that before honor comes humility. Judas rejected it all, lifted up in pride, haughty, haughty. He wasn't going to humble himself. It's interesting. Jesus Christ was the consummate teacher. His words were acts and His acts were words. I'm going to read you one last statement that I wrote this morning. We can't understand the kneeling, serving Jesus without first understanding the transcendent, holy, almighty Lord and then stand in awe that they're the same person that this almighty God is the one who's kneeling before the men washing their feet. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. But listen to this. The Jesus the world likes is the humble Jesus kneeling before them. That's why we call Him Master and Lord. Later in the passage, Jesus says, well that you call me Master and Lord. Why does he say it that way? Why does he say it that way? Because when Judas came in the garden, what did he call him? Master. You see, he had called him Master, but he never called him Lord. He had behaved in a certain way, but he had never humbled his heart and called him Lord. You might be behaving in a certain way. You might be a good person. You pay your taxes. You follow the Ten Commandments as best you can. You live in this world according to the moral precepts of Scripture, and yet you've never bowed and called Him Lord. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's go back to 
John 13. I'm going to show you one more thing before we're done. Remember I said that his acts are words and his words are acts. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. Now look at this. First, he riseth from supper. What did Jesus Christ do? In Philippians 2, the Bible says, Who, talking about Jesus, he says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So Jesus Christ is in heaven with the Father, seated at the right hand of the Father on His throne. And do you know what He did? He's there. And what's going on in heaven is worship and celebration of the Godhead. That's, that's what happens in heaven. And Jesus Christ is seated on His throne and He rose. And look what the text says. He riseth from supper and laid aside His garments who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He took off his glory. Remember what it says in John 17, And now, Father, I come to you. Restore now to me the glory which I had with thee before the world was. John 1 says, And we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But it was hidden from them because they couldn't stand in his glory. So he took off his glory and he laid it aside. Look at what John 13 says. He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel, the instrument of a servant. Is that right? Is a towel the instrument of a servant? The waiter with a towel over his hand. The waiter with the towel tucked in his apron. He riseth from supper, laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, laid aside his garment, and took upon him the form of a servant. Then look at what it says. After that, he poureth water into a basin. What did Jesus Christ do? Jesus Christ not only cleanses us, he provides the means of the cleansing. And what is that? His own blood. And so after that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. What did he wash the disciples' feet with? His hands. Do you know that Jesus didn't have hands until he became a man? He became a man to cleanse men. That's what he did. He took on hands so that he could wash those disciples' feet and then spread those hands out on a cross and have nails driven through them. And what was that accomplishing? The payment for sin. He was cleansing them. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began washing the disciples' feet and to wipe them, now look at this, with the towel wherewith he was girded. So what is he doing? He's wearing this towel, and so he is getting. he's humbling himself. He's kneeling down before those men and he's taking the filth, listen, of their walk in this world. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Who walked according to the course of this world. 
according to the power, a prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now works among the children of disobedience. So what did Jesus Christ do? He got down on his knees. He came down out of the throne of heaven. He took on him the, he laid aside his glory. He took on him the form of a servant and he bowed before those men and he took the filth from their walk in this world and with the, 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 the cleansing water that he had provided. What does the Bible say? Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by his mercy he saved us. How is that done? By the washing of regeneration, the new birth. So Jesus Christ got down and he's clothed in this servant's garb, this towel, and he takes their filth on his own body. Remember what Peter said? No, Lord, you're not going to wash me. Then you are none of mine. The only way any of you can become one of Jesus' own is to be washed. What humility. That God, that God, the God that created everything, the one who is all-powerful, is the same one that bowed before those men and washed their feet. And He came and died on the cross for you and for me. We need to bow before Him, don't we? We need to bow before Him. Lord Jesus, what an amazing God you are.